Hello, everyone. This is Sherry Rice, and welcome to Access to Healthcare's weekly podcast, where we bring you local guests on a variety of topics of interest to you and your family. Today, we have a very unique and fabulous topic, health disparities and inequities. I really wanted to bring this to the forefront. Um, I was talking to one of our guests a few minutes ago, and we were discussing the fact that during the last year with COVID and many things that went on socially in our country, that health disparities and health inequities has really come to light. So please join me today with my guest, Dr. Jeffrey Murkowski. He is the director of Silver Summit Health Plan, and Dr. Bio Curry Winchell. She is family medicine with St. Mary's Health Network. Welcome to you both. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Thank, Thank you, you for Church having us. Yeah, this is, uh, we'll bite this off just a little bit at a time. I was uh, doing some research and certainly being in the medical community, I was not oblivious to the fact that there are health disparities and health inequities, but I was quite surprised by some of the, some of the um, data that I found. Health disparities amount to 93 billion in excess costs and 43 billion in lost productivity in the United States. The U.S. has among the largest income-based health disparities in the world. Both African Americans, American Indian, Alaska Native, Hispanic, and Pacific Islanders had over three times premature excess deaths per 100,000 from COVID-19 than the rate among white and Asian people. So this is a very complex issue, and let's start with a few definitions. I'm not sure who would like to go first on a definition of health disparities. Well, it's, it's Dr. Murawski. Yeah. So I'll, I'll start. You know, health disparities really are any issue in the emotional, physical, um, or psychological health of an individual that exists um, be, between where you want to be and where you are. So. Health disparities um, are those um, issues where we don't see the kinds of care we'd like to have. Um, and it could be disparities in, within a population or it can be a disparity kind of globally. Um, an example, um, in the US, we have an obesity epidemic. That's a disparity in our care for weight control. Well, when we talk about disparities and then we get into health inequity, um, Dr. Curry Winchell, what Tell me the difference between the two and maybe an example of health inequity. Yes. So when we talk about health and inequity, it really refers to the systemic differences in the health status of different population groups. These inequities can have significant social and economic costs to both individuals and societies. And when you really look at, you know, the differences in health status, or the distribution of health resources between different population groups, it really shines a light on the social conditions in which people are born, where they grew up, you know, where they work, as well as their age. And so when we talk about health inequities, that really is a defining moment of what is fair and what is unfair and how the government really responds to that. And so when you talk about different groups, we're talking about uh, both income groups, we're talking about race, ethnicity, and and even some other issues that would be involved in health inequity and health disparities. Yes, we are. And, you know, a real example is exactly what we've faced recently within the pandemic. 
we know that there were inequities as well as disparities that really disproportionately affected, you know, underserved communities as well as um, the BIPOC community. Well, Dr. Morosky, I, I know that as the director of Silmer Summit Health Plan, um, you, a lot of your patients are on Medicaid, so a lot of your patients also have the issue of the disparity of um, income, don't they? That's, that's very true. You know, folks that are on Medicaid, um, many times are income challenged, so that they have the economic disparity of that. Um, you know, within not just our Medicaid, but an example within our um, Medicare Advantage plan, we have individuals that live in rural areas and highly rural areas, and they, they face inequities in their ruralness. Um, and, and there are inequities in the ability to have transportation for many of our members on Medicaid, and so that creates disparities in, in their care and in the ability to get to care. So there are many, many factors that play in, into that. You know, 14% of in my Medicaid plans um, uh, population are homeless. And so, you know, not having a home is it creates disparities and inequities in care. Well, Dr. Morosky, when we talk about, say, the last year, I mean, it, it really is what's been on all of our minds, the COVID uh, pandemic, and what has, has happened for access to care for many of the population um, that are low income. And as you mentioned, the rural population, but also the uh, population of African-Americans and Hispanics. Yeah, you know, and unfortunately COVID-19, you know, affected our whole community. And while we didn't see different rates of death specifically between African-Americans, Hispanics, and Caucasians in Nevada, what we did see was something very striking. The number of years of life lost for our African-American, Hispanic um, community members was much, much, much higher than it was for our Caucasians. So it affected younger people, so it affected whole families, which have kind of ripple effects on it. And, and that inequity alone is something that makes us think about all the chronic diseases we deal with um, moving forward as we get past the pandemic. Well, let's talk about how that inequity starts. It didn't just start with COVID. So that inequity starts um, at with children, doesn't it? That their ability to be able to access their care, and then they move up into adulthood. And so why do you think that uh, people of color had a more difficult time when they were diagnosed with COVID? It, whichever one would like to answer that. I will take that. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh. Okay, you know, Sherry, what it really comes down to, we know even before the pandemic, there were disparities and inequities before the pandemic and even after. And when you really take light into all of the barriers that occurred, that provided the inability to even access care. And then when patients, you know, within the uh, African-American or Latinx community went forward and actually received care, often it was delayed. And that's when you really had those complications of COVID-19 set in. And so all of those factors really cause, you know, that trickle-down effect where we are seeing, you know, um, a higher rate um, of complications and death within um, the minority population. Well, let's talk uh, for just a minute, if you don't mind, Dr. Curry Winchell, about the medical community. These inequities have been here for a very long time. 
is it something that is discussed in uh, medical school? Is it discussed in internships and residency? Is it something that the medical community, I'm sure they're aware of, but how, how are they dealing with this? So the medical community, you know, recently over, I would say about the past 10 years has really invested in increasing knowledge within this space. Now, even though when I say that, there has been an, an increase, there is still more work to be done. And that is when you really need to take a look at the individual institutions and medical schools and nursing schools and so forth, and make sure that health literacy component is there. It's so important as physicians, we need to be culturally and linguistically competent so we can serve our community. And that work is still ongoing and we have more work to be done. And because that will help us overall, you know, really combat these types of things that happen as such as a pandemic. We need to invest in improving health literacy. Well, Dr. Barowski, I think- It's a health plan. Yeah, it's important to us as a health plan. You know, we want to make sure that all of our health plan staff are culturally and linguistically competent. So that as any kind of touch point from the healthcare system to individuals kind of helps meet them where they are, provide the care and the goals that they want to get to. And that's one of the ways you eliminate these, these disparities and inequities. Well, and part of it is Absolutely. because somebody who was raised middle or upper middle class, um, who was a Caucasian person and had access to healthcare and had access to, uh, to be able to get healthcare quickly, they would not have the education or the understanding to really understand that that is not the way it is across the board. So isn't education incredibly important? You know, education is important. You know, just as an example, in my training, I spent a great deal of it at a county hospital in Chicago, where I learned and experienced through talking with the patients who taught me as much as I learned from them, you know, how they experienced the healthcare system. And, and I think what we have to do in our medical education systems is, and both you and our and you know we are doing this, is work to reinforce that understanding of being culturally competent, understanding that person in where they live, and, and linguistically competent, speaking in a way that makes sense to that individual. That may be referring to a disease slightly differently, that may be having the conversation within a different experience, but it also means understanding some of those inequities. So, you know, while individuals um, who are economically disadvantaged are struggling with public transportation. We put that on a pandemic where public transportation right. becomes a least safe way to travel. Now we're asking them to take more risk just to do the things they normally had to do. And that's gonna create stress, which is not good for health, which creates health inequities, which we then have to work right. to, to alleviate. Well, and social determinants. I mean, we know somebody that, that mm -hmm. someone who lives in a, in a grocery store desert and can't get to the grocery store to get fresh fruits and vegetables is going to eat very differently from someone who can. Um, Dr. Curry Winchell, let's talk a little bit about about those inequities and how we solve those as a community. You know, that's a great question. We really have to be mindful of a deep dive into our communities and what is available. Do we have those grocery stores, like you mentioned, that actually have fruit and vegetables? Or do we have, you know, um, actual establishments that do not provide a more robust ability to be able to get fruits and vegetables and other things? And so looking at that really helps us 
see where our patients are going as far as their overall preventative health. If you have a patient that is a diabetic, but unfortunately, you know, in their community, they don't have access to protein and, you know, healthy carbohydrates, that really affects their ability to implement all of the things that you are trying to share with them as a provider. It's hard for them to achieve that. Well, some people literally um, would question whether everyone has a right to health care um, and do they all have the right to equal health care. Dr. Morosky, how would you how would you answer that? Does everyone have the right to equal health care? Well, I think once you get to health care, the, the fact that we deliver it equitably and in a patient-centered way is the goal of any health care delivery system. Um, you know, the, the, I think the, the key is that, you know, whatever care you get, you're going to be able to get that care regardless of how you present and regardless of the color of your skin or your socioeconomic background. We want to make sure that we provide that. And, and you know, our state has a very good at, at a Medicaid system that was expanded that really does try to address as many of the gaps as possible in, in getting people coverage that then focuses on providing whole person care. And that means addressing social determinants. It means working with other partners on housing. It means food programs, you know, a good example is, you know, if you've just come out of the hospital and you don't have a lot of resources, you know, getting to the grocery store right away, that, that's very difficult. You know, meal delivery after discharge is a really good example of things that can be done um, that make a big difference. So, um, Dr. Curry Winchell, what would you like to see happen for more equal health care? I would really like us to invest in improving the inequities that we actually see, and we know what they are, and that involves, number one, can we have more clinics that have access to areas that are, you know, primary care deserts? That would be a huge help in that space. And then really dissecting, you know, how can we get those patients to that location, that primary care clinic, and providing transportation, as well as thinking if I prescribe a medication, can my patient afford that? Are they going to have to make a decision between buying groceries or purchasing their medication? So I think taking a step back and really looking at, you know, the disparities that we have and going step by step and making a change, you know, in those areas will really be helpful for us overall. So, um, Dr. Morowski, a few minutes ago, you talked about uh, having people in the healthcare industry that are culturally competent. Let's break that down just a little bit for people because that word is used a lot. I understand uh, being able to speak somebody's language let's talk about what cultural competency is. What would you define that as? You know, I, I think you're, you're very right there. Cultural competency is a complex idea, and it, it encompasses a number of things. Um, Dr. Curry went to bio mentioned something very important. A part of that is linguistic competency, which you mentioned, can I speak your language? But also, can I speak your language in a way that's relatable and understandable? You know, we all know how hard it is to translate medical into our primary language, in my case, that's English. Um, now we have to translate medical into English and into someone else's language and in the vernacular they may choose to use. So cultural competency includes that linguistic competency. Can we use the words the right way in the right place? And there's generational components to that. There's rural versus urban. There's local terminology you want to use. You have to train people. You, you have to actually make it a point to do that. Um, then we get into the cultural competency of can you think about the things that you didn't think about within that culture? And a lot of those are 
the health inequities, the disparities you're talking about. Do you ask a question, you know, while I might ask someone, you know, do you smoke? I should also ask someone, do you have a car? How do you get around? What's your mode of transport? Who else lives with you? What's your social support network? To be culturally competent, you need to understand all of those things that make up the culture around a patient and what's more or less important to that person's individual views and their cultural knowledge of where that goes. Um, there's you know, very specific things and beliefs that can be in, in, within someone's culture that you have to learn to understand and recognize and ask about um, to be able to deliver care that people will want to adhere to. A treatment plan is something that a physician or a nurse practitioner, um, PAs, all of our medical family, you know, will work out with a patient and they need to share in that medical decision making. And if you don't deliver it in a way that's linguistically and culturally appropriate, you don't really get full connection. And that's easy when it's someone that looks like you. Um, it's a little harder and you have to work at it to do it when it's not right. someone that looks like you. Well, I, I think that was an excellent definition. I'd like to ask you, Dr. Curry Winchell, about um, is this being taught adequately to new physicians or to people coming out of medical school? And is it being taught also with a conversation about our own internal biases? So, you know, there's more work to be done, I think, here within Nevada. You know, UNR, UNR and UNLV are doing a great job, but there's still more work to be done. And I think it starts with the layers of your medical school class. How diverse are your classes? Because that provides the, the opportunity to exchange different cultures and um, different ways people really digest information. And that provides kind of a playbook or a curriculum for that young physician or medical student starting their career into medicine and the ability to hopefully, you know, deliver that to their patients. And so, um, I, I, key is health literacy as within the um, universities, within nursing schools and PA schools, we still have more work to be done. I'm proud of UNR and UNLV. They are working very diligently to make sure that the students are prepared, but I think we just have to continue to push that, that importance. You bring well, up something very important, which is this unconscious bias. I think yeah. that's critical because the first step in training is really yep. making that unconscious bias conscious. Mm -hmm. And I know yep. that the medical schools in both UNR and UNLV and the residency programs that do further training throughout our state and within our country are really working as is, as my health plan among many others in helping bring that to the forefront. Hey, I need you to understand your unconscious bias and make it conscious. Because once you make that bias conscious, then you can change the way you communicate and the decisions that you make to help eliminate that bias or at least mitigate it if you can't fully eliminate it. Right, and no one can do that for you. That's a personal responsibility because we have to bring our own biases to the forefront and be honest about them. Yeah, we, we do very much, and, and, and one that was part like of my med school. Go ahead. And one thing I'd love to mention, I know within UNR, um, they have a diversity inclusion, you know, um, actual uh, subject that they do lessons on implicit bias and microaggressions and um, racial kind of awareness. And to Dr. Jeff's point, that really helps you break down those barriers that you may not even know that you had, which helps mm -hmm. overall provide better care. Yeah, we had access to healthcare and taking care of uh, the low-income population um, 
probably 50% Hispanic, and a part of that was the undocumented for over 16 years. We're very aware of the biases um, to get equal um, health care for a lot of the populations. But the first step is for us to all look at our own biases and how we treat different populations or what what we think of different populations. It's very important that early on in your medical education, you start to learn those um, things and you learn how to address them and, and how to try to bring your biases forward so that you know you have them and that you can work past them. I was very lucky in my career in that I got to train at a VA hospital early on in my career and, you know, got experience with a gentleman who, um, you know, typical, who was homeless. I brought all my biases of, oh, he's just a mess. And I come to realize this is a Congressional Medal of Honor winner, you know, who'd done mm-hmm. just amazingly heroic things in the Second World War. And it kind mm-hmm. of came, all my biases came crashing down on my head yep. as I realized yep. what I walked into the room with. And, and from that moment on, I really made it a point, and I try to teach others to make it a point, to kind of leave those things at the door, <laughs> understand what you have, and, and get rid of them, or, or to at least recognize them. Okay, you know, am I applying a stereotype? Am I applying a prejudgment to this individual? Am I walking in the room making eye contact? You know, if, if I walk into the room and my head's down because I'm thinking about something else and I'm not there, if you experience microaggressions all day, that's just another one. <laughs> um, you know, I gotta not do that. So we wanna train people to do it, to really eliminate these disparities in healthcare because it's these small things that are gonna become additive with some systemic changes in how our system works that will allow us to really kind of start to level the field and, 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 and drive these disparities out. You know, we know in Nevada they exist. We've measured them in diabetes. We've measured them in hypertension. You know, we've measured them in obesity rates. We've measured them in many other chronic conditions and we know they exist. So we need to work to, to eliminate them. Well, Dr. Curry, um... Winchell, let's talk a little bit about what's occurred in this last year and the sense of the momentum. It seems like there's uh, words on our lips that we haven't had for a very long time. Uh, Institutional racism, Black Lives Matter. We talk about social determinants. Uh, Now we're we're talking about inequities, um, disparities. What, how do we keep the momentum going? What would you like to see into 2022 that we can keep this in people's consciousness but also make changes it's a huge elephant to bite off one bite at a time where would you bite it is a huge one you know i think the best way we can actually actually have sustainability and meaningful work moving forward in this space is not to just be reactionary because we know when you are it's very short it's a very quick kind of response and there really isn't any substance behind it so my first bite would be to investigate what happened why it happened and make changes and they don't have to be fast and i think that's the biggest thing people often think when you think of disparity and racial injustice and uh, you know racism within public health system, people often react and they make these big changes, but they're lacking that foundation that needs to occur to have sustainability as well as for it to be meaningful. So that would be my first bite to really take a wholehearted approach of change. And what about you, Dr. Morosky? 
you know, I think first it's the recognition that we have an issue and that we have to keep talking about that issue, both as a profession and as a society, that we just have to accept that these things exist and that we don't wish them to continue. And then it's really that long haul view. It took us a very long time to build a healthcare system that was creating disparities. And every system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. Um, and so our system is designed to get these results. Then we need to change the system. How do we change the system so it recognizes these things? How do we change the system so it understands that social determinants of health matter? How do we integrate our social services supports with our healthcare delivery? Since we're learning more and more, they're so connected that you can't separate housing from health. You can't separate employment from health. Right. We need to start kind of making those connections. And by doing that, we'll move everything forward. And I wanted to add one more thing to what Dr. Jeff, mm -hmm. oh, I'm so sorry. To no, what Dr. Ahead. Jeff mentioned, you know, that shared language. How are we going to really make this last by teaching others what does social determinants of health? That's why I'm so glad we are doing this because it's, I'm sure there's so many people listening here who had no idea what does that mean? What does inequity mean? And so providing those definitions allows someone to really participate and make a change. So when you have this shared language, there's the ability to really make change occur. Well, and we know that that there there are inequities. We know that many times people don't get the health care that they need. And many times it's partially because they don't have the money or they don't speak up and it's a cultural issue for them. What do you see, Dr. Uh, Morawski, is the obligation of a Medicaid provider to impact these health disparities? You know, our biggest point as a Medicaid provider is to, one, make sure that we're providing the most equitable care we can to every member of Medicaid and to advocate so that the Medicaid system can take care of all of those who need it. You know, the goal of Medicaid is a safety net. That's what it's there for. Um, and so to continue to advocate for that safety net to be as broad as we can. But we have a special responsibility to really address, and as Dr. Bayo Curry said, really push forward this knowledge around social determinants of health. Because in a Medicaid population, these things, lack of transportation, uh, having to live multi-generational in a single house that impacts your care, um, you know, having to do um, and worry about employment. You know, we have some great advantages in the Medicaid program in that you don't have to choose meds over meals because medications are free um, on Medicaid. And so, you know, we, we made a good choice as a society to provide that option for people. But not every member knows that. And so it's our job to educate them that, hey, you're never going to have to do that. When you go to the pharmacy, we're not going to ask you for money. <laughs> um, we want you to just take your meds. So it, it's those things that's our responsibility to do and, and to continue to advocate and to educate all the providers who take Medicaid around what health inequity is, around what microaggressions are, and around what unconscious bias is. So we do training for our providers who participate in our network around what these things are. We work to get them cultural competency knowledge to help be a better doctor. And that, that's our biggest job. You brought up a, a great word, advocate. Um, Dr. Curry Winchell, let's talk about that a little bit. You've been a primary care physician here in our community for quite a while. Um, how do you advocate for your patients? I really take in the information that I'm hearing from them, the concerns that they have, and I try in any way that I can 
to whether it's a phone call, you know, so they can see a specialist, or if it's a transportation issue, do I need to call, you know, their payer to see if I can find a way that we can make that happen so they can get to, you know, their appointment, as well as utilizing media to continue to push the importance and the concerns that my patients have. And within COVID, um, within the pandemic, you know, I saw that there was a need for us to utilize faith leaders because often there are patients who really trust their priest or their pastor. And I felt like if we could provide this information on how people can protect themselves as well as access testing and vaccinations, we would within our community really make strides in fighting uh, the pandemic. And it was amazing. And we, we, we saw that the pastors having this information to provide to their congregation and then webinars to provide that health literacy and then a vaccine clinic shortly after. That cadence was so meaningful and helpful for our community. That is how I advocate. I try to find those you know, disparities or things that really need to be looked into and see what I can do to help. Well, let's talk about the vaccines for a minute, Dr. Morowski. Medicaid um, is offering free vaccine, but that's a case of cultural competency also, isn't it? To be able to talk to somebody yeah. in not just their language, but to talk to them about why the vaccine is so important. You know, absolutely. And I think this is a really good example. You know, as a Medicaid plan, we looked at this and our Hispanic population was a big focus for us and said, how are we going to get people to take the vaccine? So one, you know, the government was great about this and the Medicaid plans carried through. There's not going to be a cost barrier. Okay, that's good. The second one is, can we make sure that we work with our providers to get the access available so it's geographically in a place it's convenient. Well, the good news is in Southern Nevada, the pharmacy network's pretty broad and it's relatively close to almost all people. We got some provider offices in our federally qualified healthcare centers that step up. Same thing in, in Reno and the surrounding areas. We did that as well um, with Sparks in Reno and did some great work. But then we asked the harder question, what's the message that's going to make you get vaccinated? And the even harder question, who should deliver it? And the interesting part we found was, is that the vaccine message for the Hispanic community that really was meaningful was getting vaccinated for others. Not you should get vaccinated to protect yourself, but that I got vaccinated to protect my family and it needed to come from someone who was meaningfully connected to the Hispanic community. We were so lucky in that the, 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 the NFL Hall of Fame has a program that we've been part of for helping kids and, and doing some other work that uh, an NFL player, Anthony Munoz, Hispanic guy from, from, from Cincinnati, came out to Las Vegas and spent the day with us talking to the community and doing PSAs and doing message delivery on why it was so important to get vaccinated. And then we had vaccine clinics when we were just Dr. Curry mentioned, they're, they're like nearby or right connected to it to help bring mm-hmm. the message out. So, you know, our role is to do that, find the right message and the right messenger within a bigger healthcare structure. And well, I'm let glad me ask- Dr. Jeff mentioned that. Oh, um, I was going to mention, Sherry, I'm so glad that he mentioned that because representation, it really does, it matters. And having yeah. the ability to see a healthcare provider that really represents what you look like or where you're from and, and different parts 
can be very helpful in the movement of, you know, providing information, especially within public health. And I know within the African-American community, and you had mentioned, you know, what do you do to advocate? That was important to me to pair up, you know, with Dr. Jeff or when Anthony Munez came and participating in PSAs with Immunize Nevada and letting them know I'm a Black female physician, and I believe in this vaccine and why, as well as providing um, awareness and acknowledging the mistrust that has happened, you know, within different minorities, including, um, you know, African Americans. And I think that has been um, extremely well received and something we have to do more within our society. Well, I was going to bring up the word trust. I mean, it, it, it trust is such a huge factor for many of the communities that we all serve, and understandably so. And, uh, and so that, again, is cultural competency, I believe, that we acknowledge the lack of trust, and then we acknowledge and advocate for ways for that population um, to get what they need from somebody trustworthy. Uh, that's very true. You know, one of the things we do is we reach out to the, to the chambers of commerce. And in, in particular, we reach out to our urban and our Latin chambers of commerce in both Clark County and Washoe County, because those folks are trusted messengers, and they can tell us what's happening on the ground. And they can also be fantastic message deliverers. I can spend a couple of hours, which I did, talking to one of the chambers and answering all of these vaccine questions or answering questions around high blood pressure management or other preventative care services. And now all of a sudden I've got 50 or 60 trusted messengers out there repeating the message within the community in a way that's gonna resonate with them. And hopefully bring them into their doctor's office and their doctor will listen, which we can train them to do, and then start to close these gaps. So, that is key. That is what we need to happen. And that's where you're going to really, you know, within, as Dr. Jeff mentioned, those trusted messengers, faith leaders, other people who can take in that information and people will feel like this person is here for me and they want to help me. And that's where you're really going to get that, you know, buy-in where this is something that I should do for my health to keep me, you know, safe as well as healthy. Well, Dr. Bio Curry Winchell, let me ask you as we're wrapping this up, give me a couple of things that you would like to see um, through the rest of 2021. What here locally? Let's uh, on the national scale, it's a little overwhelming, and there's many things I think we would all like to uh, advocate for. But let's talk about in our own community. What would you like to see happen? I would love for us to improve within the primary care space and have more providers available. Um, we need it in this area. We know Nevada is a primary care desert. And so having more providers um, available to help with, number one, um, access and preventative care, which overall decreases, you know, those chronic conditions or at least helps you know, decrease complications that can occur, as well as, and I've said it many times, um, improving health literacy. And so when we roll out different uh, pieces of new information within diagnosis and so forth, making a conscious effort of delivering that information in different ways, instead of just one sort of channel, we need to have the ability to, whether it's media, print, 
in person through a trusted messenger. Let's amplify what we now know works and really continue that moving forward. Thank you. And Dr. Morosky, let's talk about what you would like to see for the rest of 2021 um, as a Medicaid provider. You know, I, I think as a Medicaid provider, I'd like to see us continue this conversation as a central and ongoing part of what we do to serve the people of Nevada. That we need to yeah. work with the state, work with the counties and the health organizations, our federally qualified health centers. Our role is going to be to keep this conversation open, to keep talking about unconscious bias training, cultural competency support, health literacy education for our providers and for our patients um, to help bridge those gaps. That we have to spend the rest of this year hardwiring this in. So this mm -hmm. is just part of our ongoing conversation in 2022, and we can continue to work on those long-term solutions you know, out in the future. I agree. We've started the conversation, so let's continue it. I'd love to check back in with both of you towards the end of the year and see where you think we've come in 2021. Would that be all right with you? Absolutely. Yes, I would love that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that would be very good. Well, we've been talking today about health inequities and health disparities, and I think we've had a very good start to a conversation about a very complex issue. My guests today have been Dr. Bio Curry Winchell. She's Family Medicine with St. Mary's Health Network. And Dr. Jeffrey Morosky, he is the director of Silver Summit Health Plan. I want to thank you both for not only being a guest, but for also having a very candid conversation with me. I appreciate the time you've taken to discuss this important topic. 